Hello, here we go again. Welcome to another episode of Who You Don't See, the podcast which celebrates the people behind the stars. In this podcast, we chat to people you might not have heard of, but who are key to making the magic happen. So we'll hear from choreographers, fashion stylists, music video directors. If they work with a household name, this podcast exists to give you an insight into their world. I'm your host, Megan Lawton, a journalist, broadcaster, and generally nosy person. And in this episode, I chat to tour manager, Rebecca Travis. Coachella is always amazing to do. That was part of Ellie's devotion tour as well. We did Coachella, which was incredible. Glastonbury with her was also amazing. I mean, and doing the O2 as well is another biggie. Madison Square Garden. So events like that are always great. And then you, you do kind of have to pinch yourself that you're going to work that day at Madison Square Garden, you know? And you think, oh, this is quite good. Rebecca has been on the road since 1999 and estimates that in a non-pandemic year, she'll spend around 40 weeks away from home. Over the years, she's travelled the world with Ellie Goulding, Florence and the Machine, James Blake and Arcade Fire. She oozes calm and practicality, which is just as well because she is constantly juggling a ginormous to-do list full of thousands of tasks and requests. I Zoomed Rebecca a few weeks ago where we spoke about dealing with travel plans gone wrong and also learned why tours might not be as rock and roll as we think they are. Rebecca, thank you so much for doing this. I massively appreciate it. No problem. So let's start where we always do. And I am increasingly aware it sounds like I'm hitting on people when I ask this question. But if you and I got chatting in a bar and I asked you what you do for work, what would you say? I would say I'm a tour manager. I work in the music industry with various bands. Uh, I've done it for 20 years. And My job is basically to move musicians and their equipment and their crew around the world. For so many people, that is a dream, almost fantasy job. How did you or when did you realise you wanted to do that? And when did you realise this isn't, you know, can we all have those aspirations? I want to be a pop star. But when did you realise, no, I actually can do this and I'm going to make a career of this? Um, Well, I'm... I was lucky enough to be brought up in Edinburgh, so there's lots of festivals and stuff happen there. So I was always around it. I worked in theatres. My dad was a drummer, so I was always sort of um, involved in the music industry somehow. And, yeah, from an early age, I I worked uh, in events in Scotland. I did um, things like Tea in the Park, the big Edinburgh's Hogmanay celebrations. And then I felt that I really wanted to go on tour. And I don't really know how that came about I just I guess I just thought that would be fun traveling the world with uh pop stars musicians <laughs> really fun I don't know really good fun and then a friend of mine said she was going to work with Riverdance in Ireland and go on tour with them and I was like oh that sounds quite good so that's actually what I did I got a job with Riverdance and did um three years with them so although it's a theater production it's a it's a rock and roll show um or it was then so I did that for three years I got to live in New York for six months and on Broadway, and we travelled all over the world with Riverdance, uh, all over Asia, Europe, the States. So it gave me a great grounding. And after I finished with them, I decided, you know, I wanted to work um, with bands. And I'd made some great contacts working with Riverdance. And 
that's how that came about. I went out as people's assistant, as an assistant tour manager for various different acts. And then um, in 2005, God, so long ago, it's crazy. I started working with Franz Ferdinand when they were on their um, ascent and became their assistant and then became their tour manager. And and that was it. I've been doing it since then. And yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great way to make a living. It's hard sometimes, but I can't imagine doing anything else. And in this crazy period we're in, it does it makes you realise what a huge part of your life and who you are that job is. You know, it's not like a normal nine to five job. It's very much you. You are Yeah, it's your identity, yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. And and myself and lots of people I know, um, you know, are really feeling that and I've been lucky enough to be doing a few things during the lockdown and I've always been sort of doing something but there are a lot of people in our industry just now who are not managing to do anything which is very sad. Yeah because ultimately your job has got so many thrills to it yes it's work but the travel is exciting I'm sure regardless of how many years you've done it for so being stuck in one place is not in your nature anymore because you've kind of conditioned yourself to be always on the road. Absolutely. So we flew, my last flight uh, was home from Australia via LA with Freya Ridings last March. And I haven't been to an airport since last March. So soon, because I'm not going to go to anyone anytime soon, it's going to be a year that I haven't taken mm. a flight, which is just, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. I just can't. You're missing the duty-free. <laughs> I am missing it. I mean, I, I miss yeah, miss flying. It can be so stressful if you've got a a big group of people that you're checking in and traveling with. Um, but I miss it. I absolutely miss it. It's yeah, it's it's very sad not to be doing it. Definitely. Yeah. No, I I totally I can totally understand that. So you mentioned Franz Ferdinand. Well, you mentioned a river dance first. Yeah. Then it was Franz Ferdinand. Give yeah. us an idea of the kind of people you've been working with since then, because there's quite a catalogue of names. There is, is a catalogue. So, um, yeah, very eclectic mix, because I work with people like uh, Brian Ferry and Roxy Music, who maybe your listeners may not have heard of, but their mums and dads will. Um, Franz, for quite a few years, I, I, um, I would work with them, then go and work with somebody else when they were uh, writing their new material and recording it. Um, Katie Tunstall I worked with for a long time. Basement Jacks, on and off for, for a few campaigns. And then I worked with Ellie Golding. I started on her um, second album and did two albums with her, but worked worked a long time with Ellie, sort of off and on. She's very busy. She keeps, she keeps very busy. So, yeah, a lot of work with Ellie. And James Blake as well. I've worked with him off and on for lots of years. Um, Fantastic guy, James is. And then a New Zealand comedy group called Flight of the Concords, who not everybody's heard of. If you've heard of them, you've really heard of them. They do arenas. They're huge. Um, they're Grammy-winning, Oscar-winning. And then uh, Florence and the Machine recently for a whole album campaign, which was sort of 18 months um, for her last album which was great. And actually before that, I did Arcade Fire for nine months. And then Freya Ridings, which was brilliant as well. It was just at the end of Freya's album campaign. <clears throat> so came on quite late with, with that one, but went to Australia with her all around Europe and the UK. Uh, she's fantastic as well. And then the most recent 
project I'm trying to think if I've missed anyone I don't think I have but um, <laughs> it's hard to remember because you basically go back you'll do a bit with James and then he'll be quiet for a while you'll go and work with somebody else you go back to Ellie and then you're, ju- you're juggling you want to keep yeah, it yeah it's a bit of a hokey cokey big time it's it's so hard um you want to keep everyone happy you want to keep working with the people you've worked with before uh, but recently, um, Gorillas was the latest thing. I got asked to work with them last March. Uh, then, of course, nothing happened. Um, but we were lucky enough to pull off a live stream in December in London, um, where we broadcast live to three different territories. And they're fantastic. Band. The band are brilliant. You mentioned there a lot of people who you described as fantastic, which mm. is nice that you're spending time with people you oh, love. I'm very positive, don't I? <laughs> have you ever kind of worked with anybody who you were a big fan of I'm sure lots of those artists but therefore you were a bit starstruck around them or have you always been able to separate I'm a fan of your music and I'm working with you yeah I'm, I'm always able to separate luckily sometimes you do sort of think actually particularly gorillas because Damon Albarn you know I've grown up listening to Blur and but you just meet Damon and he's just, he was a nice guy. He's a nice guy and it all feels really normal. And I've been lucky enough to work with nice people um, along the way. So it's, 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 it's been pretty easy from, yeah, in that regard, luckily. That's nice. We need easy lives. So yeah. tell me about what a tour manager does, because I have very little idea about what is and isn't in your remit. So I am told the agent and the manager will decide that the artist, Ellie's going to do uh, an American tour and these are the dates that they have in the diary for Ellie. So um, I will uh, budget the tour, um, decide how we're going to travel, whether it's tour buses or flying. I'll put all the, all the costs together. I'll hire the crew. And then, yeah, basically book all the hotels. There'll be a production manager who would deal with all the technical side of it. So that's getting the equipment there, getting the equipment set up for the band each day. I'll book the hotels. I'll get everybody visas, um, all their flights. And then generally, if you're doing a tour of America, you'll be on tour buses. So book all the tour buses and book the catering. Um, Yeah, just, just get everybody from A to B, make sure they're fed they have somewhere to stay that they're well looked after and um, but also bring the tour in hopefully on budget you know not not overspend money because the you know an act these days they they really need to make money from their live work because people buy less physical music these days they don't buy records and cds in the way they used to so we have to make some money from them uh, for them by performing live so you have to keep an eye on the budget which can be hard but yeah, and liaising with the production manager who would put together all the sets you would see, the lights, the sound and, you know, the fireworks, the projection, the video, all that stuff. So work with the production manager um, on the costs and how that all gets set up as well. And, you know, it varies enormously from the size of the tour because, you know, you might do a big Ellie show or a big Florence show and it's a huge big arena thing. Um or, you know, we went to Australia with Freya and we did a, a 900 capacity bar because it was our first time there. Um, and that's how we start out. You go to smaller venues, hopefully sell them out. And the next time you go back to that territory, you're hopefully in a bigger venue until you get up to these arenas, which is is what most acts are, are aiming for. 
and such a, a huge um, part of our industry now is is festivals because they they allow an act to uh, an opportunity to make a, a decent amount of money. They tend to be fairly well paid, and you get to um, play for a much bigger audience. So people that might not have heard of Freya would be there for the band coming on after her, and they would see Freya and go, "Wow, she's amazing!" and become fans. Yeah, and, great and, exposure. Exactly. So it's a huge part of of our industry now is is festivals. And, and how so, much does does the prep for a festival differ from the prep to a world tour, or will often you kind of be squeezing in a festival into a world tour? Yeah, you might do that. So generally, a band will do a summer festival tour. So say Ellie or Florence would do a summer full of festivals, and you would only do festivals. Perhaps you might put a few. If you if you have like. 90 people on the road you have to keep um paying them pay for all the equipment pay for the buses so if you're out on a tour um you might well put in some additional shows just to keep it keep the whole thing running but generally you'll go and do a festival run um or you'll go and do an arena run I love a to-do list but your to-do list must put mine to shame they must be ginormous I, I like a to-do list. I generally do it on my phone. Um, you know, the one, yeah, and then the one that, that in notes, I use notes. So then I go onto my computer and the notes are there. Sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to use a diary or a book or whatever, but it just, it's just another thing to carry. It's too much. So with all, because your computer speaks to your laptop, speaks to your phone, speaks to your iPad. So you just, yeah, do it all on notes. That's what I do. And um, How many um, people typically rely on you for a tour? Um, well, uh, it just de- depends. I mean, we did we did the Freya tour in Europe. We had fourteen people, I think it was, and then on Florence, there's like seventy people. So it just depends. Do you ever sleep properly, or are you always about to doze off and like, shit? Did I get the bus driver's passport? Or oh my god, did I confirm that hotel in Uruguay? You do get that. You definitely do. I think now, as because I've been doing it so long, obviously I forget things all the time. But you're you're much more um, relaxed with it. You're you know you've done it a long time, so yes, you can forget something and you think about it overnight. And I'll probably send myself a little if I'm lying in the tour bus bunk, as something might come to me. I'm like, oh, didn't do that. I'll send myself an email so that in the morning I'll read it and go, you must do that. But yeah, you know, you 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 definitely. I do sleep, though, in answer to your question, sorry, I do sleep well. (laughs) Um, But on the bus, it's hard to sleep well because you're on the bus and people put their earplugs in and they can sleep for a long time. But for me, as soon as the bus has stopped, I'm like, right, where are we? Are we at the venue? But now, you you know, in the olden days, you know, we didn't have phones that had um, maps and stuff on them. We We didn't have that. So you were like, oh, I don't know where we are. And some buses have a little window, so you would peer out the window to see where you might be. But now it's just like you just pick up your phone and you Google Maps and you're like, oh, we're 10 miles from the venue or he's just stopped for petrol or whatever. So that that's, um, you know where you are all the time. <laughs> I remember pre kind of like, uh, iPhones and whatever just relying on getting a text like welcome to Slovenia your your text will cost 5p your yours must have pinged off quite a few times through absolutely, the absolutely absolutely um yeah but we know we know we're I mean technology's changed touring so much mostly um 
in a positive way and made it much more straightforward. I mean, people that I work with can still remember when you had to do everything by fax. Um, I mean, it's just unthinkable now. But yeah, they all, they all had to fax things. And, you know, now we're just an email or a text or a WhatsApp. It, you know, even communicating with your party, we use WhatsApp all the time, just constantly like beeping each other messages. I mean, I can't imagine what, well, I can imagine because I did have to do it. Like on, on Riverdance, we would have to take call sheets, so information on what was happening for everybody and put them under hotel room doors. What else, because you were saying you've been doing this, I think, since 1999. What else has changed? Is it like an awareness to try and make things more greener? Are tours naturally more ambitious because of like the production value now is so big? Like it's not just the concert, but that then lives online and so much of it is then turned around for content. Yeah. Has that kind of changed your workload? No, d- definitely. I mean, well, on the on the green thing, we're definitely trying. We're definitely trying to be greener. Um, but it's so hard. It's so hard. You're you're moving people all over the world uh, in a very ungreen kind of way. So you have to sort of find a, a balance to to help make things better. A lot of artists are, you know, uh, contributing to projects like planting trees, whatever, to offset their horrendous carbon footprints, which are an essential part of what we do. I mean, some acts have said they don't want to tour because of the carbon footprint and the environmental impact. But the reality is that bands keep, have to keep touring to promote themselves, to earn a living. So it's an ongoing conversation, one that I'm part of. You know, even things like trying not to use plastic on tour, plastic bottled water everywhere, cases and cases of the stuff. And we're really trying now to have, like, water coolers everywhere we go and everybody has um, – trying to see if I have one because – we're now sort of producing bottles at the start of a project, the start of a tour, so you'll get one on your first day, it'll have your name on it. And it's like, we're not giving you single-use plastic, you have to use that. So we're trying. What was the other part of the question, apart from the... About, like, production levels. Yeah. Now, like, it's just like you, you even go to Glastonbury and, like, you watch a set from a few years ago and you watch a set now and the lights, the fireworks that like you yeah. mentioned, like production values are and even like the amount of costume changes absolutely all that stuff is it's a a huge you know set staging um lighting yeah fireworks it's it's so huge every artist wants to put on the best show for their fans Uh, any artist that I've worked with really has that first and foremost in their mind so again it's like you have to get a balance you're trying to make some money for that artist but they really want to Again, someone like Ellie, she really, really, the last, the Delirium tour that we did was huge. You know, everything, she came up through the stage. uh, When she first came on, she popped up through the stage. She went out on a sort of motorised catwalk. She was on that and she changed outfits sort of six or seven times. It was a huge, a huge thing. But it will be interesting to see now with COVID and people trying to be greener will things scale back a bit you know do we are we going to try and have less people on the road to make things cheaper to make it safer but for the moment people want to put on a great show and I do think post-covid people you know there's a part of it that people might think oh god you, you could just get someone just with a guitar and they don't care about a video screen they just want to see a show but I think people are going to want to party and they're going to want mm. to do things that are you know amazing 
Uh, you're ready for an experience that you couldn't get in your living room you want it kind of to be immersive and grand yeah absolutely and if you think about kids and look at the look at the the shows they're watching the films they're watching the animation the quality the level of what they deal with in computer games and all that so your sort of little mix and bands for a younger audience they need to see something really really amazing what is the time frame say if Ellie Goulding was going to go on tour in January this month. When would you start getting involved in the process of planning that tour? Um, ideally, sort of, I mean, the longer the better. So someone like Ellie, because it's going to be big, um, big venues, they have to have those venues booked months and months in advance. So you would find out about it. Your ideal is that you get to book your hotels before the audience know about the concerts because you want your crew to be really near the venue. Ideally, you get good notice. I mean, six months, hopefully. But if it's a smaller tour, you can pull it together in, in no time at all, really, a couple of months. So I have never been on tour. <laughs> that won't surprise you. But I have been on lots of holidays. And the holidays where you travel between locations, mm. things go wrong. So maybe like your luggage doesn't turn up or you get to accommodation and it doesn't look like what they said it would. That happens for me a lot. But you you do this full time so constant mishaps like that must happen they do it becomes part of your I always think you have to be so on it with your um your organization for the day-to-day stuff to allow you time to deal with the inevitable um last minute stuff that happens and I mean it could be anything flight of the concords we were in Amsterdam and our next show was in Dublin and it was the time of the ash cloud do you remember that yes that volcano Oh my goodness. So the crew got the first flight to Dublin. So they were fine. They were at the venue. And I woke up to a call to say, your flight's been cancelled. So um, that was stressful. It was the first move I'd made with them as well. It was brand new. Anyway, long story short, we had we had to get from Amsterdam to Dublin. So it was kind of like two hops, two bits of land to, to get over. If you know what I mean, you had, sort of had to get to the UK and then on to Dublin. So we managed to get a flight to Liverpool and I called the tour bus company. They had luckily had a bus nearby. It picked us up at Liverpool Airport. It took us to um, the ferry terminal and we we got on as uh, foot passengers. We got off at the other end in Dublin. We were met by cars and literally the guys walked out of the car and onto the stage and the, the support act, David O'Doherty, he was saying, guys, you won't believe this, but Flight of the Concords are not yet in Dublin. They're not yet in Ireland. And everyone's oh, laughing. And they weren't, you know, and they, that was all, it was a crazy day. It was absolutely crazy. So that was the, the, the ash cloud. I'm just trying to think of other things. Um, you know, you're constantly getting things like cancelled flights. So you have to sort of work out, right, what now? On Florence, we were aiming for Montreal in Canada. And there was a problem with the flight. As near as I could get was Philadelphia in the US. <gasps> okay. We had, luckily, we had a travel day, so we could do this. So I was like, right, we'd, all we have to do, we just have to get to Philadelphia, get everybody a hotel, get everybody settled. They all go for dinner while I'm sort of trying to work out the next move the next day, which is the flight to Montreal, which we did. We then got to Montreal, no bags, you know. Aww. We were very grumpy. No bags, but they all came. The bags all came. Everybody was safe. And it's about keeping people calm, as calm as you can, about you being calm. It's a different story when you're trying to get to a show that's much, much harder. 
with James Blake, we were doing Primavera in Barcelona and it was the time British Airways, the, the runways at Heathrow just were closed. I can't quite remember why. So then you try and get on another another airline, but of course they're all full because it's Barcelona in the summer, it's Primavera weekend. So can we go on the Eurostar? That was all full. So we ended up hiring a private plane, which sounds very glamorous and it is, you know, it's, it's pretty glamorous. But we had to get to Barcelona and we were lucky. This is like 10 a.m. And he wasn't on stage till 1 a.m. the next day because in Spain, the shows are really late. So if you're headlining, you're on at one in the morning. Yeah, we just got in in the in cars from Heathrow over to Luton. And I remember Blur's drummer was also booked on our plane. So the Primavera Festival called and said, is there any way you can give uh, Blur's drummer a ride on your plane? Because he's all the <laughs> Blur were in Barcelona except him. I was like, yeah, it's fine. You can come on the plane. Sometimes you have to do things like that. You can only do that if your artist has the funds to be able to do Yeah, that. I was going to say that. It's much harder if you uh, are with a, a smaller act who don't have a budget for that. I mean, we we hadn't budgeted for a private plane, but obviously if you don't play the the event, you don't get paid. So, of course, it makes sense to get there however, however you can. And it was good fun. It was a little jet plane and... Um, Again, the crew were already there, so that wasn't a concern. It was just, you know. You we, lot arrived in style. <laughs> we arrived in style, it was good. But then once they've had one private plane, then they, they want it again. That's, that's Get a taste for it, I would. Uh, <laughs> I'm not doing Eurostars after this. No, exactly. <laughs> Is there an art to delivering bad news? Say, I don't know, you're with an artist and you turn up to a hotel and you know maybe they're vegan and keto and keeping it really healthy and you're like, oh, but the kitchen will only offer you chips like how do you kind of like manage that kind of situation you know what you have to just be honest at all times even if you've made an error and you didn't ask about the keto um vegan options and you're like, <laughs> really sorry I, I forgot to ask about your dietary needs on this one they, they can't look after you here shall we get you something else where can we get food from and and again about you know being honest with people don't fib to them there's no point in that just be totally honest even if you've made a mistake and generally again people understand you know you're traveling the world and you hope that people can deal with things like that I mean again a part of this huge COVID thing hopefully people will come out of this and not be as concerned about their uh not getting their exact requirements because it's it's just really not a big deal in this current picture is it but embrace I don't know. the chips <laughs> embrace the chips just have chips you know the world <laughs> is a tricky place just now um does but, do things like that happen do you get to hotels and as an artist ever said I'm not staying here tonight or someone kind of like refused the food and sulked and I'll go hungry definitely um absolutely you know because because what you have to think is People are away from home. When you work with these amazing artists who've done it a long time, they have a certain way of working on tour. They've done it a long time. Things want, they need to be a certain way. And, you know, sometimes if they're tired, they've had a bad day, they're missing home, they didn't have a good show, you know, they might be a bit more sensitive and they might be a bit unhappy. And, yeah, definitely I've had to move a few artists' hotels but it, it doesn't happen often because you're you're obviously you're checking things time and time again. And as you know, um, as you know an artist more and more personally, 
you know what they want. You know that they, like Ellie, would have to have a gym. She must have a gym to work out. She needs that. Um, and just people have their specific needs. So just check on that, make sure that they're all covered. And, you know, some artists will travel with their own things to, to dress a room just to make it comfortable because they don't, you know, hotel rooms can like be really what kind of things? You know, throws and cushions and suitcases with books and things from home just to uh, make it feel more homely for them. That's That's happened a few times. And most of the time, say if you were to reject a hotel room, are people being reasonable or are they being devious? Like, is the hotel genuinely grotty or they're just like, I want something better. I know I can push the buttons here and get something better. I've not had any of that. I'm lucky. I'm That's glad good. Yeah, I'm glad to say. Um, I think it would be quite frustrating to work with other definitely artists who are like that, definitely. But again, if you can, if you can get a nice relationship with your artist, they're not going to do that to you. You know, they might say, oh, this hotel's a bit, it's a bit grubby or this, I mean, to be honest, we're not staying in grubby hotels generally. We're lucky enough to be in, in lovely hotels. So, you know, if an artist had a real issue, I would say, right, okay, let's try and get you moved or let's try and get your room, a, a, a nicer room. Yeah. You mentioned but, there about um, Ellie wanting a gym and other artists wanting like rugs and books there's a reputation for tours to sound quite rock and roll but it sounds like they're not very rock and roll it sounds quite clean and green honestly clean and green and I remember with Flight the Concours we would laugh because honestly they'd go back to the hotel and have green tea and dark (laughs) that's it and same with Ellie she'll have like some bubbles sometimes but there's the crazy rock and roll partying I think it's definitely not a thing of the past. It's definitely happening. It's out there, but not on the tours that I do generally. Do you like bond together on tour? We sometimes be like on a day off, let's all do some yoga. Let's, we're all going to have like a games night or something. Definitely. And it, all, all that depends on the tour and it depends on how hard the tour is. Because if you're exhausted, generally on a day off, I'll get everybody settled into the hotel and then, I mean, for me, it's never a day off because you've always got work to do and it's a good catch-up day, but you might just want a day to yourself. But other people definitely would um, meet up. They'd go on a hike, you know, they would go shopping, go out for dinner together, go for drinks. Um, definite bonding. It's 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 a family. It's definitely a family. Um, and even if there's people on in the family that you, you don't necessarily get on with, they're still your family. <laughs> and at the end of it you miss them outside of tours do you kind of keep in touch with each other definitely um well it was quite interesting in lockdown you know we did a few zooms we did ellie organized uh, a saturday night lockdown quiz which went on for a long time i think like 10 weeks or something we did it and it was great everybody would meet up on a saturday and we'd all take turns in hosting the quiz it was it was good but in normal times as well, definitely um, you would keep up with you, you keep up with people. I mean, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. We still um, it's it's nice. You see what people are up to, and and also things like on Facebook or Instagram. You might be on tour. You might be in New York, and then you go, oh, that person's in New York, and then you message them. You're in New York. Yeah, I'm here with this. Oh wow, come to our show. You come to our show. I'll meet you for a coffee, and it's amazing. I love that stuff. Um, 
you know, LA, you're quite, if, if you go to Coachella, for instance, um, there's always going to be people uh, there that you know. There's going to, LA is going to be full of people that you know. So that's really nice. You'll end up meeting, um, meeting up with people to have a drink or breakfast, lunch, whatever. Um, and that's really nice. That's when the world becomes, feels very small. Um, and that's the, a great part of what we do is like the travel, meeting people. But of co- because, of course, you're working when you're on tours, but you're like you say, you're that family unit. You're still human. So I would go to my job day in, day out and come back and I'd debrief on the day with my flatmates. Like everything that's going on in your life, they are your immediate, they are your flatmates for all of that. They're your colleagues, but also your friends. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, inevitably you have issues on tour, you, you you want, yeah, you want to debrief, you want to talk about them. I mean, we do long days, we do like 16, 17 hour days, and then we go to sleep. It's full on, it's an absolute full on schedule. What gets you through those 16 hour days? Is it Diet Cokes, coffees, bananas? Coffees, coffees uh, black <laughs> coffee, drink too much of it. We try very much to be healthy on tour god it's, it's hard because there's just stuff around there's food everywhere there's drinks everywhere yeah, it's gonna, are you in control of the rider and requesting what's in the yeah. rider yeah what's absolutely. the craziest kind of request are they as bonkers as we kind of fantasize about there's the again my lot uh that I've worked with it hasn't been that crazy and you you, you tend to um I tend to be careful not to not to have waste because people can be very sort of you know write a big huge long list of requirements and then uh you know leave them behind and it costs money like it costs somebody money it's not all free so you get a balance you want everybody to be well looked after and have everything they need but don't go crazy but yeah a lot of people go crazy yeah I've not had any sort of Mariah Carey uh kittens kittens required at each venue but I would be totally into that that would be fine I would order <laughs> um but nobody's asked me to yet but I'm well up the kittens on the rider but what uh, about specifics is it like um I only want this Fiji bottle of water or I want this smoked salmon but it has to be from Scotland yeah I mean again you try and get that sort of stuff out of them because it can it can you know it it it's I'm trying to think of anybody who's asked me for such such specifics I mean they wouldn't be too bad with the Scottish smoked salmon that's okay Fiji water you can get everywhere so that if I saw that I'd think that's fine that's fine but other sort of um very specific things normally festivals and stuff they're they're happy to deal with with anything like that so if it's within reason I'm happy to submit it to a festival and I know that whatever my art is asking for is probably the the least of their worries because they've had some, you know, they they not to generalize, but you know, the American acts, some American acts would have much crazier uh, riders than us. And um, but yeah, you know, it's, again, it's down to that thing. If if it takes that specific smoked salmon for that artist to be happy enough to perform, to perform well, to enjoy it, so that they do it again then we have to facilitate it because we want them to tour. We want them to enjoy it. So they do it again. So we have, we have work and you know what? We need these stories. We need, not that I've given you any, any crazy ones, but you know, we need it to be different. We don't want it to be boring and everybody just to want the same thing. We want, I mean, I stayed at a hotel recently and um, I'd heard that some guys had had a party in one of the rooms and I thought, Oh God, I don't want to go home and then get a message about this room there might be an issue, Ooh, don't know. So I told the 
the hotel manager said, you know, maybe just pop up to that room. I think it was 423 and just have a look just just in case, you know. And he said, oh, OK, OK. And he came down and he said, oh, I'm very disappointed. Uh, it, it was immaculate. I was I wanted uh, someone to have thrown the TV out the window. I was I was disappointed. I was like, oh, well, okay, sorry about that, but yeah. Well, well <laughs> you need more wild artists. <laughs> I think I think I do need more wild artists, but um, yeah, not wild enough. But people like Ellie, you know, she keeps herself so well. She's so fit, and Florence as well. They look after themselves, you know, they eat well and exercise, and I think maybe you, you work with the younger, the younger acts, um, they're, they've got more energy and it's new to them. It's all a bit of a novelty and they're they're much more likely to go a bit crazy and have a wild time. Um, so, yeah, I, I avoid those ones. <laughs> <laughs> so you have obviously been all over the world and you've seen gigs because of that all over the world. Is there a country where the crowds go craziest? Is there a country where the crowds are, I don't know, most vocal, anywhere that stands out to you? Well, the funny one is Japan because... I first did that with Riverdance, but I've been back with pretty much every act, and it's one of my favourite places because it's it's somewhere that's still foreign, and it's less, you know, as the world becomes more global and more, uh, you know, every country you go to is almost the same now. Um, but Japan still feels like Japan. It still feels very different, although uh, less different than it did when I first went there 20 years ago. But the crowds there are just so polite and they all, um, they clap politely and, the, you know, there's wow. no screaming or cheering. It's really quiet. So for an artist, it it's, takes a bit of getting used to because there's no feedback from the crowd until the song's finished and then they very politely clap, um, clap a lot. So that's that's always really interesting. And in terms of mad crowds, um, South America, that would be the place. They're absolutely crazy. They're mad for it. And artists love playing there because, you know, it's generally warm and these clubs are busy and uh, they just love the reaction from the crowd. I mean, any artist want, want to feel a great response from the crowd. They want them to be near them. So if they play at a, a festival and the, they have the barrier and it's so far away, it's, it's often hard for them because the the crowd's far. They want to be close. They want to feel the the vibes, which is another back to Corona. That's a, you know, when when are we going to be back to that feeling of all these people being, you know, tightly packed in and, and you know, all these drive-in concerts and talking about being socially distanced at a gig is a lot of us who work with it are just a bit like, you know, let's just wait until it's back properly and not normally, you know, as it was before. Um, yeah. You want to get hot and sweaty and sort of like jump about with other people. Exactly. So yeah, it's, we, we miss all of that. I mean, South America, that's the, that's, that's hot and sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like it. (laughs) So looking back on your career, is there one concert that you're most proud that you worked on or perhaps it's a whole tour that you kind of think yeah that was me at my best that's the cherry on top of an already amazing career it's it's always a a a big delight when you finished a whole um album cycle with an artist so you've been there from the very start of it from the early promo uh, until the the very end so ellie's um devotion campaign was amazing we were everywhere we did arenas we did festivals it lasted you know, normally it would last sort of 18 months. It lasted much more than that. Um, 
And we were such a team on that, such a strong bond uh, in the band and crew and with Ellie. You know, you really felt sad at the end of that, that that was finished, but also, you know, grateful and proud. Other amazing things, you know, I did the the did the Grammys and, and Coachella is always amazing to do. That was part of Ellie's um, devotion tour as well. We did Coachella, which was incredible. Glastonbury with her was also amazing. I mean, these... These huge shows are, and doing the O2 as well as another biggie, Madison Square Garden. So when you're doing those type of uh, shows with an artist, that's so huge for them. Like for her to play Madison Square Garden, the O2, Coachella, Glastonbury, these are massive events for them. There's always extra work for these events because they're going to put on something special to make it extra special for the audience. So events like that are always great. And then you, you do kind of have to pinch yourself that you're going to work that day at Madison Square Garden, you know, and you think, oh, this is quite good. Really good. And when you get back to your flat, you put the key in the door, you're sat on the sofa with a cup of tea, maybe flicking through the photos. How do you feel at the end of a tour? Are you absolutely haggard, knackered, or are you just like, oh, I'm sad to be home? Never sad to be home because I've always got a nice uh, place and family to come back to. But yeah, you can be sad it's over for sure. And you're always knackered. By the time you've, if you're at the end of, you know, even a month tour or, but certainly at the end of a big campaign, you are tired for sure. It's it's exhausting. And it's jet lag as well. Jet lag, absolutely. But you keep going, keep going, keep going. And then at, at some point, when your body knows that's it, you don't have to do any more. You're just kind of like, you know, collapse yeah. in the heat. But it's great. Then you do all those things. You stay in your pajamas all day and you watch telly. But you know, also the reality is that there's always a whole load of tying up after the tour. It, it continues, and the likelihood is that you're actually starting to put together the next thing. So, looking to the future. Are there any artists you want to work with? Any rock and roll artists you want to avoid? Who's sort of like, if you could plot your next few years in terms of careers, in terms of tours, sorry, who would you like to tour with? Well, I'm, I'm definitely excited about Gorillaz um, because having now met them, uh, it's a great project. Musically, it's it's great. There's lots of people. It's a challenge because it's um, they have a lot of guest artists, so everywhere they go, uh, they invite different people to be part of it. So that's exciting. Who else would I like to work with? Adele, that'd be a nice one to work with. Just any anybody who's who's a nice person, running a nice tour, and a great performer. It's, it's always good. You you need to have respect um, for whoever you're working with to yeah. work so hard for them so that's that's really important so and also you'd be subjecting yourself to a few hours of music you don't like every night for 10 weeks or whatever so probably best to avoid that I haven't had it but if if the artist was a lovely person and everything else was okay and I really didn't like the music it wouldn't be ideal but I still think I'd go with it and just um I think I'd be okay with it uh but obviously you would rather you get you do get really into the music and it's it's interesting because when the band are on stage I'm always busy and then you get to think oh right three songs from the end and there's a certain sort of pattern to everything that you're doing when the when the show's on um it definitely helps to enjoy the music and then you pop out um every night at some point and you go god this is this is good you know this huge big venue full of people 
and you've been a part in in making that happen and that of course that that feels good you're proud and you're proud of your colleagues when they're up there on stage you just think oh they're so good yeah you did it we we did it we did it we did it we were here we've made it here we're on the other side of the world and here we are all safe and sound and doing what we do so I desperately hope that we get back to doing that at some point soon and yeah get that feeling again it's at the moment it still seems a way off but um fingers crossed everything crossed keeping my fingers crossed toes crossed everything like you say (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca you have been incredible to chat to I've so enjoyed it we always end the podcast with a bit of wisdom and advice that you think people need in their lives and of course you work with a whole host of amazing people is there any sort of one bit of advice that stands out to you or something you've learned over the years that you want to share I would say someone once said to me um speak to people the same whether they're um a cleaner or whether they're royalty be yourself be kind to people and treat everybody nicely and the same um and yeah I think be nice, be kind, particularly in these times. You know, nobody knows what anybody's going through uh, personally. So just try and be kind and support each other. I love that. That's lovely. Rebecca, thank you so, so much. A huge thank you to Rebecca for chatting with me. I will never moan about my holiday mishaps ever again. If you made it through to this point, hello, thank you for listening. I'm hoping this means you've enjoyed the podcast. If the answer is yes, please press subscribe, tell a mate about it and come and pay who you don't see a visit next week when we'll be joined by Phoebe Lettuce-Thompson. She's a fashion stylist responsible for making some of the biggest names in pop culture look as banging as they do. So hopefully I'll see you then.